Catch new episodes of Dial the Gate weekends at youtube.com slash dial the gate. And for the latest schedule, visit dialthegate.com. Welcome, everyone, to episode number 21. My name is David Reed, and this hour we have the pleasure of welcoming back uh, for the first time. Well, I guess Darren Sumner would have would have counted for the uh, the the first the first duplicate guest. But uh, in terms of Stargate talent, my first returning guest is Mr. Joseph Malazzi, uh, writer and executive producer of Stargate SG-1, Stargate Atlantis and Stargate Universe. He is responsible for so many of the episodes uh, that you love, and we're going to be going through in this episode his writing process for a typical Stargate episode and an overall an overview of SG-1 Season 4. One of the purposes of this show is to provide an oral history for the future of fans who love the franchise and all of its aspects. And we are using uh, YouTube as the platform to meticulously go through every single piece of every single episode with all the people who brought all of these parts together. So that's what we're going to be doing with this uh, particular hour of, uh, well, hour and a half, hour plus 45 minutes. We ran a little over. I just I just wrapped up with him and, and am now recording this uh, for you all. But before we uh, go back in time and bring in Joe, if you like Stargate and you want to see more content like this on YouTube, it would mean a great deal if you click the like button. It really makes a difference with YouTube's algorithm and will definitely help the show grow its audience. And please also consider sharing this video with a Stargate friend. And if you want to get notified about future episodes, click the subscribe icon. Giving the bell icon a click will notify you the moment a new video drops, and you'll get my notifications of any last-minute guest changes. This is key if you plan on watching live. And clips from this live stream will be released over the course of the next several days on both the Dial the Gate and GateWorld.net YouTube channels. That's all I've got lined up for you here. And let's go ahead and bring in Mr. Joseph Malazzi. I am privileged to welcome back Mr. Joseph Malazzi, who uh, first joined us our first full week on October the 10th, I believe. And he's back again for round two. Hello, sir. Hello, sir. Thanks for having me. Thank you and for coming back. Actually, I'm, I'm, I'm d- distracted by your revolving uh, Atlantis. I didn't, I didn't realize it moved. <laughs> I just got this in the mail <clears throat> last week. Okay. It's, uh, That's why I never noticed it before. Right. It's a 3D print from a Hungarian fan by the name of Kevin Sabo. And Amazing. he sent this to me. There are some talented fans out there, yeah. man. It's just absolutely ridiculous. My frustration with Atlantis is that Rainmaker started the uh, – generated the original model for Rising. And then other vendors got their hands on it and modified the design hmm. over the course of the show. And by the time they got to, uh, you guys got to SGU, it was like, this ain't going to happen again. Destiny is destiny. Everyone copy the same model. Was hmm. that something that they would come to you for and say, hey, we'd like to make modifications for it? Or would they, would they just do it on their own? No. I mean, 
honestly, I mean, everything went by Brad and Robert. Okay. So, um, you know, as the creators of the show, they always had final say on the look of the show. And um, our uh, visual effects supervisor at the time was Mark Savella. And he was very particular about ensuring that the show was perfection visually anyways, and from a visual effects standpoint. So I'm sure he ran everything by uh, Brad and Robert. Got it. All right. You joined the series. Before I get into that, mm. uh, you and I did not talk at all about Utopia Falls in the last uh, interview that I did with you. Tell us a little bit about that show. Um, you know, whenever people ask me about Utopia Falls, I'm always, it's not that I'm reluctant to get into it, but um, it was not my show. I it mean, wasn't. I was a showrunner. No, okay. I mean, Dark Matter was my show. Okay. Uh, Utopia Falls was created by a very talented uh, director uh, named R.T. Thorne, who uh, he, he, um, he directs television, but he really got a start in um, music videos. And he pitched, uh, calls it a, a, a genre bending sci fi series. It's a hip hop uh, sci fi YA series. And um, it, I mean, it, it's really interesting. I've, I've never seen anything quite like it. When he pitched it to me before he, he went off to pitch it to Hulu, you know, I thought, wow, this is really smart and good luck mm. and, and ended up selling it to Hulu. I needed a, a showrunner. And um, he's like, hey, I need a showrunner. And I was like, I, you know, I, I can't think of anybody who would be good for this. I thought he was asking me for a recommendation. He's like, oh, I know you. And I was like, oh, no, no, I'm, I'm not hip hop. And he's like, no, I'm hip hop. You're sci-fi. And so um, I ended up bringing on my, my Dark Matter crew and we got in the room, uh, RT and I, and we essentially broad-stroked the first season of the, of the show and then we got into the writer's room and we broke 10 episodes over the course of something like ridiculous, like, I don't know, like five weeks. Uh, and then we just went off and wrote and, and uh, you know, it, was, it, was a, it was a fun experience. I mean, you know... It, any production is tough. There, any production will have its challenges, but it was just nice to, uh, I guess, get the band back together, mm. uh, meaning my my old crew, and 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 working with RT was a lot of fun. So, um, if you like hip hop, if you like YA sci fi, maybe it's the show for you. Is it in the stream of like young adult, like the 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 one hundred? You know. Yeah. It- I guess it's it's not quite as uh, dark as the one hundred. Okay, got yeah. it. And would there be any uh, surprises like cast members from or uh, supporting cast from Dark Matter that that make an appearance? Um, in yeah, actually, uh, Jeff Turavainen, who played the Lieutenant Anders on Dark Matter, plays uh, uh, a very prominent role. Uh, Kate Drummond, who guested on Dark Matter, okay. as um, um, a, a, a sort of a, a member of, of one of the corporations who turns out to be an alien. Um, but she, again, I was just thinking about this the other day that uh, she actually auditioned for another role. She got food poisoning, was in the hospital. I ended up reaching out to her and saying, Hey, are you okay? And she's like, yeah. Yeah. she's like, I'm so sorry for, you know, letting you guys down. I'm like, Oh, don't worry about it. I, you know, I said, we'll circle back. We'll find something for you. And then I ended up finding something for her and she was terrific. And, uh, and so, you know, so often happens, um, you work with people, you enjoy working with them. And, and so when you 
or casting for a new production, mm-hmm. you think of the people you worked with before. So that's how you, you know, I ended up with Tori and 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 Mike exactly. Dopid and, and David Hewlett on Dark Matter. And, you know, if, if we would have done a fourth season, Bob Picardo would have would have guessed uh, starred. Um, and it's the same thing. I mean, we had Kate, we had uh, Jeff and, uh, no. I'm sure I'll have like plenty of Utopia Falls actors on my next show. <laughs> well, part of it I would think is, I would I would think that when when you have someone that you know can deliver and do the work, why not bring them in? Yeah, you know, and if if there if there's someone that you enjoy watching, why the heck not? Yeah, and and there are times when you know uh, an actor or actress would be perfect for something. Um, in the case of uh, Commander Truffaut on Dark Matter, I rewrote the role with Tori in mind, much the same way that Phydra, uh, uh, who's the big bad on Utopia Falls, I wrote with Kate Drummond in mind because I knew they would be perfect for the role, and they were. Yeah, absolutely. It's always exciting when when the, the what you had on the page, it's got to be just comes right to life exactly or almost yeah. as close as possible as planned. That's one of the things that I want to talk about with you now going methodically through your Stargate journey. We're going to mm-hmm. start in this episode with season four, may dip into season five a little bit, uh, depending on on how quickly we move through the, the material. Uh, you joined with your writing partner, Paul Moley, yes. in season four. And so the seasons always started up pre-production the the an early break of the shows would of the next season shows would begin before the end of the previous season is that right like a general idea what would that process be early on for season four um well season four was kind of an outlier for us because we we came in late really um i mean a better example would be every other season where we would end and we would already be thinking of stories for next season. And so we usually would take like a couple of weeks off um, and, and, and sort through post-production and then the writers would gather and pitch out stories and, and we would um, spin for maybe a month and a half, two months and try to break, try to get at least a good, at least half the uh, episodes uh, for the season in some sort of sort of rough shape. Uh, by rough shape, I mean uh, uh, an outline. Um, and then each of us would go off with a script, maybe two, and, uh, and, and we'd head off for the holidays and then come back in usually February, hopefully with a script or two. And, and of course, I mean, you know, we were doing, I think, 20 episodes um, in the last half, yeah. Well, yeah. 22 initially, 22 early 20, 20, yeah, and yeah. then 20. So uh, you, you would think that coming in with 10 scripts would be great, but really production is a machine and begins to you know, eat your way through all that material very quickly. So, of course, while you're in production, while, while you know, certain writers are um, overseeing prep of their episodes or checking out set or in post-production, the other writers are, again, in the room spinning story ideas to finish out the season. Let me okay, so for a typical for a typical season of Stargate SG1, mm-hmm. when would when would filming start? It varied I think around um March though, mid-March. Okay. was when we went and we would start actually it, it, the turnaround for those those episodes is actually 
you know, in, in my mind for, uh, for a sci-fi show, it was pretty tight. I mean, I think we were premiering in like early July or late June on Sci-Fi Network. And, um, you know, and, and usually we would uh, produce 12 episodes and then go on hiatus. And uh, usually we would take, what was it, like maybe a month of hiatus um, or two weeks to a month. A month seems a little, a little long. Any, in any case, and then we would come back, and of course the crew would would ask, "Hey, what did you do on on uh, on vacation?" And of course, the writers, what we did was we just wrote scripts, um, and and uh, and and then you know we would we would power through to I think September, maybe early October, um, at the latest, and then and then by like November we were spinning for next season. Wow, how many weeks off would you typically get? a year to not think of the show. I mean, obviously, you know, that's one of the advantages of actually going on vacation is, mm-hmm. hey, I'm sure an idea comes up, you know, there's, not thinking about it. No, there's, there was, honestly, as a writer, especially working on Stargate, especially those uh, few years when we were producing 40 episodes of television, SG-1 in Atlantis, there was no rest. There was no, you were always thinking about scripts. You were always writing the scripts. Even if you were on set, or in the editing room, or in prep, or, or or driving, or if your significant other was talking to you over dinner, you were thinking about scripts. You were running dialogue in your head. Um, it was a machine. You I mean you had to deliver, and and you know if you didn't deliver, then you 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 were not much used to the production. No, then that's fair. Would you find yourself dreaming about the show? Um, strangely, no. Uh, Dreams were were my only holiday from from Stargate. Really. Wow. Well, I, it's funny because I, I remember um, someone asked me. You know, I, I think we were going out for dinner one weekend, and someone was like, "Oh, is Paul coming? Your writing partner, Paul?" And and, um, and I was like, "Actually, no," because we spent so much time with each other. Uh, I mean, what was it, like seven thirty to you know, like, you know, 10, 11 hour days, uh, you know, if we went to set longer, uh, that we were sick of each other, but we had clearly seen enough of each other during the, during the weekdays. Yeah. Jeez, man. So let's take a step through actually 10 steps, uh, Mm -hmm. through a writing, uh, through the outline of a, a show to the production of a show to, Everything from the writing perspective, you sure. sent me 10 steps. Thank you, by the way, uh, that I wanted to go through with you as a model of a typical episode of Stargate. Great. And the first step that you sent me was writer's room, which we already kind of right. brought up. So that mm-hmm. would begin in earnest around February. Uh, no, that would begin March right on the heels of no, right on the heels of uh, of uh, wrap of the previous season. So, OK, October, the November. Of, got it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, that that is uh, a writer's room is, of course, the writers getting together, uh, throwing out ideas, seeing what sticks. Um, and we call it spinning. Um, it's not really spinning our wheels, hopefully, but just spinning ideas. Someone, you know, uh, you know. The idea, we'll, we'll come up with an idea and, and someone will add to it and it will, you know, pitch back and forth and then we'll break the story. Okay. And breaking the story is, is that the same as pitching? No, pitching is uh, offering up ideas to the room okay. and either getting shot, brutally shot down or more often than not supported, 
and you know your idea begins to take form uh and then that form takes the shape of what will eventually be an outline but before it's an outline it's it's uh beats on a board and by beats on a board i mean you, you use a whiteboard and uh one of uh, us would be a designated uh writer who would be up there <laughs> with the marker and and mark everything down usually it was paul because he his uh, writing was legible mine was not uh, brad <laughs> is left-handed so he would write and then erase everything he would write uh with his you know with his hand so uh it was usually uh paul uh, and so what we would do is we would, um, as I said, throw around ideas and then we would build the structure and it would be a tease and five acts. And, uh, you know, the tease would be whatever that, that, that opening, scene, opening scene that grabs you. And then you go into the, the first act and, and uh, each act comprised of four to five beats and each act ends with, of course, one of these WTF moments that you uh, uh, kind of propels you into the next act and 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 is so uh, fraught with the suspense or excitement that uh, the audience uh, will not turn the channel between wow. commercials. All right, so I just want to. So we have the the writers' room is what starts us yes. off. Then we pitch the idea, we pitch, and that yeah. either gets that gets lifted up or shot down. Yeah. Then spinning occurs. Yeah. Then the spinning, that's when you throw ideas back and forth. It's like, well, you know, this character, we can't use that character because they died in, you know, season two, episode 14 or what have you. And then someone will have a great idea and be like, well, you know what, you know, what if the story goes this way? And so yeah. really it's, it's a free for all. Got it. Okay. A creator free for all. Then we have breaking the story. Yes. So that's when you put it into it's, it's five act structure, was it? Yes, exactly. And, and the five act structure and then within those five acts, they're the beats. Um, what happens in each scene, you know, the, 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 the important um, narrative uh, beats in each scene. How long would that take for a typical episode? Just breaking it. It really depends. I mean, different writers rooms approach it in different ways. I know that some uh writers rooms in LA I think they, they take a, what they call a blue sky approach where they they're so detailed they'll take like something like two weeks oh my on on a single episode and they'll have dialogue up there and um we were a little more freewheeling on Stargate and it's 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 something I I I I, I always preferred and as I did with Dark Matter I did with Utopia mm. Falls um we Honestly, a couple of days, usually two to two, three days would be a long, um, a long, uh, a lengthy time to, to break a single episode. And by the time Atlantis came along, were you alternating between SG-1 and Atlantis? Or were you trying to keep flow and do a block of SG-1 and then a block of Atlantis? No, when we, we tried to get as many episodes of both shows uh, as possible. And then whoever was available, if... if um, you know, SG-1 was running short on, on, on the scripts and we would get together and we would spin some ideas and, and look ahead. So the writer's room for SG-1 in Atlantis occurred in the same room at the same with the same group of people? Yes, with the same group of people, yeah. Okay, fantastic. Then we have an outline. Yes. Now, is this after a writer has been designated for the episode? 
Yeah, usually the person who comes up with the idea is the writer who gets to write the script, but not always the case. Some 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 writers are very good idea people. Other pe- uh, other writers are very good in the room, and other people's are, are other writers are just very good writers. And um, hopefully, you know, everyone's a good writer, but right. some writers are just not great in the room, and some people are just not great idea people. They're better at at, at uh, taking someone's idea and and kind of fa- you know refashioning it or or, or building upon it. Um, and so, but we would take the the beat sheet. And uh, each writer would get a script to go to go home with, and they would go off with the beat sheet and flesh it out into a full outline. The outlines usually, I don't know, eight to twelve pages, and you would just take the beat sheets that you, that you have, sort of those beats, and and really just uh, elaborate upon them. Okay. When I'm looking, I'm looking down uh, through the episodes here. A lot of times there is a story by and then teleplay by credit rather mm-hmm. than a written by. Is that when you would have an idea, but another another uh, writer would would ultimately write it? Is that yeah, when those that are, circumstance would take place? Those are kind of rare situations yeah. uh, where a writer will come in with an idea that's almost fully fleshed uh, fleshed out, but is unable to write it themselves. At that point, they hand off the teleplay, and so they get the story credit, and the writer gets the uh, teleplay credit. And for technical speak, you know, mm-hmm. on the back end, are those are those different? I- I'm curious. I mean, you may mm-hmm. not even want to elaborate about it, but, I mean, in terms of someone who is, is fascinated by the, by the process, are those mm-hmm. different percentages in terms of royalties? Um. Yes. Okay. Yes, they are. Interesting. Yes. All right. Then we have the revised outline. So from outline to, revo- to bleh, revised outline, uh, how long are we? Would that also depend as well? I think well? an outline usually takes you, I think, maximum a week. Okay. And you deliver the outline to the, to the other writers, and they will read it you know, over the weekend or, or a day or two. And then everybody gathers together, and, and they will give you notes. And then you go off to incorporate the notes. And usually that takes you maybe a couple of days and you come back with your revised outline. And uh, occasionally you will, will, you know, you'll get another set of notes and, and you'll go off and, and, and uh, uh, revise and deliver a, 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 another draft of the outline. But usually by the end, once we had notes on the outline, um, we were usually pretty good to go to, uh, to script because at that point we kind of trusted one another in, enough to know that we would uh, incorporate our, you know, the notes. And by the latter half of, of each of the seasons, when we're getting into 17, 18, 19, mm-hmm. are all of these processes occurring at once? I mean, are you writing outlines for the later episodes while developing, you know, writing specific scripts for? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Oh I mean, I, I look back at some of my um, my blog posts from way back then, and, and I would, you know, see, I'd be talking about, okay, I've, uh, I'm prepping it was like crazy. I, 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 um, I'm, I, I pitched an idea for episode 17. Um, I just delivered a draft for episode 15. Uh, we're in, you know, I'm in the process of, uh, of, uh, you know, locking, uh, editing, picture locking, uh, episode 14. Um, you know, I just saw the rushes for episode, the dailies for episode 12. They look great. I, you know, I'm, I'm in prep on episode, uh, Anyways, it was just interesting how, you know, how we would um, juggle uh, so much. And, and the fact that 
all the writers in that room were de facto showrunners. So that's what made it uh, work. And, and Brad and Robert were always very good about uh, training us, allowing us to learn on the job so that we could step up and take some of the weight off them, some of the pressure off them. Um, and, uh, and, and so, I mean, like I said, I, you know, it's, it's hard to believe that we would, we were producing 40 episodes of television a year at one point. Uh, and your blog available at yeah, well, blog, the blog, well, I mean the blog, yeah. Yeah, but still, I mean, I would have been like, I'm not getting to the blog. I, can you <laughs> yeah. see this? Are you crazy? There's to, no way, man. <laughs> to be, to be honest with you, I find it harder to write a blog when I have more time than when I don't. It's, it's strange. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Wow. I guess because you're just in the thick of it. Yeah. And you have more, you probably have more to, more that you want to say because you're in the thick of it. There's more going on. Yeah. Absolutely. Exactly. And then we go from revised outline to first draft. Now, mm-hmm. you indicated that the outline was around 12 pages of just everything broken down. It's not the script, right? Correct. Now the, now no, the first no dialogue, draft. usually no dialogue. Okay. Unless there's like something severe that you really want to hit home yeah. with. Yeah. And we have the first draft, which is the beginnings of the script. Correct. Okay. So the, the, the first draft is really the script. It's the, uh, the shot directions, the dialogue. It's what is delivered to the actors and the directors and obviously the cast and crew and everybody works off of. Um, but it goes through various drafts. Uh, I want to say an average of three. I want to say at least three. So there's a first draft. And you get notes from the writers and, and, and it's a second draft. And then you get another set of notes, usually from the network, really from the studio. MGM actually was actually really good about letting uh, us do our thing. Um, and uh, I, I think I remember, you hear that motorcycle? Uh, nope. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, in, the, in the early stages, I remember in season four, we would get notes from, from the network, but after a while they were just like, okay, you guys know what you're doing and, and let us do our thing. We would occasionally get, uh, I wouldn't say occasionally, we would, o- we would always get notes from the network. Uh, Showtime and, then, and Sci-Fi Channel. No, no, actually, but at this point, it was sci-fi. Sci-fi. So Showtime yeah. didn't give notes. Um, to the best of my recollection, no, I don't remember getting notes from, from okay. Showtime. I always wondered about that relationship because you went from, from uh, yeah. one to the other. Yeah. So, yeah. all right. Yeah. So you got your first draft, and yeah. I think it's pretty natural what happens next. You get your second draft. Yeah. Can I just back up again? I want to say that I don't recall getting notes from Showtime, but at that point in my career uh brad um, we were fairly junior mm-hmm. so it could very well be that brad was uh, doing the rewrites and then dealing with showtime so got it that's a question for brad okay that's fair and then we had the second draft yes. so what was what were big differences between typically the first and, and the second drafts i'm curious honestly it would really depend on on um on the episode um You know, usually the big differences were between uh, the big differences were front loaded. So the idea you pitched would often be drastically different from the from from uh, the outline. And the outline would be a lot of times fairly different from the script from a structural standpoint, usually. 
and then, you know, and so on. Um, I mean, it really, like I said, it depends on, on the episode. I know that personally for me, my, um, my shortcomings as, as a writer, when I was working on Stargate, the note I would always get was uh, I would give the audience too much credit. Uh, meaning I tended not to, uh, I didn't like expedition, exposition. So I tended not to explain things and relied on the audience to put things together. And it's a note I would always get that my writing partner would always give me that uh, I was giving them too much credit and that I had to, to uh, make things a little more obvious. Um, so that, that, you know, I, it was kind of a, a learning experience for me. Um, so, you know, things like that, making it uh, more obvious in a way that obviously wasn't clunky uh, was, was, was a challenge. Um, and, and usually like by second draft, they, they'd usually be in pretty good shape. Uh, but of course, I mean, anything could happen. I remember, what was the episode? Was it last, was it last stand? Um, it was a summit last stand where um, Mar- Martouf mm. was uh, supposed to get a uh, guest star. Yeah, J.R. Uh, uh, J.R. Bourne was supposed to guest star. And then he got, uh, uh, he, there was a conflict and so he yeah. couldn't do it. So we just had to go with, uh, with his Lankesh, who's the, <laughs> the symbiote. With the symbiote. And, and uh, you know, I, I was like, well, you know, we do this like very romantic scene with, with Amanda, uh, with Carter and the symbiote and kissing the symbiote goodbye. And, um, oh but I mean, that, that was like one of those instances. But sometimes, I mean, you lose, you know, in, 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 when, when you're in prep, you may lose a, um, a location. And suddenly it's like, oh, it can't be in a coffee shop. You have to you know, we're shooting near a park. So maybe let's, let's, let's have this scene in a park. So, um, you know, so, so changes like that would often, uh, would often uh, impact the rewrites. Would often watch the show and when you would have hangers or any kind of like old abandoned warehouses, you know, Mm -hmm. I'd be paying attention. You'd recognize the red trim across a lot of those of those sections there it's like they didn't have to go too far for that one and i often wondered in those in those situations mm-hmm. where uh, under which circumstances those were built right into the script and other circumstances it's like well that location fell through bridge studios is just going to have to pinch hit one of its warehouse one of its you know sound stages just to pull this off you know i think it was very rarely that we had to scramble like that i mean um one of the things that we were always very good at that Brad and Rob taught us was to produce on the page. And by produce on the page, I mean, you know what, um, you, you write an efficient script, meaning you know what your budget is. So, you know, you, you know, you need how many days at this location and how many days at this location. Um, and you just write to, to these locations or you write to your standing sets um, but it, you know, it was, it was very rare that, that we would have to pinch it. I remember, I remember actually, I think once, um, uh, I, I think it was just like a mouth transmission, a message and we just shot it. We, we just used like a brick wall on, 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 um, on the bridge lot. And if this one comes, uh, comes up because I remember actually Paul and Michael Greenberg are, uh, a longtime exec producer on 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 Stargate, as one got into it, because I think one of them wanted to use a brick wall and one of them didn't, and, and they kept on going back and forth in that prep meeting. Yeah, yeah, 
you, you know, you sometimes just gotta gotta work with what you work with. A lot of those right. map shots too are like they're they're down and they're pointed up, so you've just got gray sky. And right. It's like you know, if you gotta run outside and shoot one of these things for for yeah. B roll or whatever it would be, yeah. uh, it's like, um, gotta do it, gotta make it happen. Yep. Let's move on. I have polish. Now, yes. once you've got your second drafts, your third drafts, however many drafts you've got, the polish, is that more of typically finessing dialogue? Is it like stage direction at that point? Or is the, are those already foundation that's already in place? Yeah, I, I would love to say that the polish is the final uh, stage of the process. And um, I guess, you know, technically it is. But really, the polish usually comes, you know, before you get into 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 prep. So uh, you go through your 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 two drafts. Your polish is just to, as you said, get the dialogue perfect, make any adjustments. Then it goes into prep, and at that point, you're like, you know, well, you know, this actor is unable to 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 is it, it's not going to be available to us. We can't do the coffee shop. We're, you know, and at that point, you start making the you start uh, making changes. And those were never really that challenging. The challenging ones were, uh, uh, well, two. One is the script's too long. It won't board. Meaning uh, you, we had a set number of days to shoot an episode and a set number of pages per day. And sometimes this, the scripts were, were, were too long. They would just be, uh, or they would be boarding too long or um, they'd be timing long. And we would have to find ways to trim the script. So that was a challenge. Uh, bigger challenge was uh, when the scripts were coming in short and you would have to either come up with that extra scene uh, and like sometimes they would be brilliant like exactly window of opportunity when Brad was like I got it and he would go off and, oh, and Brad's you know, idea. That, that amazing yeah a montage sequence I mean we all sort of like threw out ideas but I mean he was really the guy who was like okay and I mean he already knew that uh, you know Jack was going to be golfing through that uh, Stargate absolutely um, yeah. Were those pants Rick's pants? I believe they were Rick's pants. <laughs> That's fantastic. But oh, God. I could be wrong. Okay. And yeah. then we have number 10, production drafts. Now, what does that mean? Yeah. Sorry. Production drafts are really, um, once you have finished uh, going through the process with the writers, with the, with the, um, um, with the networks and everybody's equally unhappy, uh, then you know your job is done and you go into prep. And at that point, the script is locked, meaning, um, you know, scene one is scene one and scene two is scene two. And if if you ever have, you know, in the event that you uh, end up um, deleting scene two and putting in an, another scene be- before scene three, that scene becomes, I think, like scene two A. Uh, there's no more scene two, it becomes scene two A. So essentially the script is locked. And at that point, you go into the, your, your prep week. So you start off with a concept meeting where all your department heads gather around a table and uh, your first AD will read the script or go through the script and people will flag any concerns they may have. Um, you know, you'll clarify, you know, we need, we need a big floppy hat for this scene. We need, uh, you know, a Zat gun for this yeah. scene. Um, and then everyone goes off and starts work. And, uh, and prep week really is... Uh, comprises it starts with a concept meeting and then you work your way through the week you visit with the art department and see what they're up to they'll they'll give you they'll bring concept uh art and 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 you know the props yeah exactly 
you know, the props department will, will, will do a show and tell and you go down to wardrobe and they'll show you sort of their sketches of what they're, you, they've got in the works. And, you, you know, you go through that week and, and so much gets done in that week. And then the, the week ends with the production meeting, which is exactly more pretty much like the concept meeting. Your first AD reads a script. But by this point, it's just to ensure that everyone's on the same page. Everyone knows all the questions have been answered. You want to make sure. Uh, and then you go to camera. So uh, Stargate... Point, as, go ahead, mm-hmm. please finish. No, just, just I, I was going to say that Stargate, Stargate was, in, as most productions, around on kind of a staggered uh, schedule, meaning while one episode is being shot, another one is being prepped so that when the episode you prep goes into production, the next episode goes into prep. So it's like a, 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 a you know, it's, it's a machine that's just forever in motion. A typical um, episode... I remember going on uh, up to uh, the production rooms when we would be waiting for for Bridget and for Carol, God bless them, uh, to come and fetch us. And we would see uh, the production calendar. And I believe it was it was seven days of of shooting for a typical episode. Was was that right? I believe that basically it was seven days because that seems that feels kind of tight to me. I think it was seven days uh, main unit and maybe two or three days second unit. Okay. Got yeah, it. but I mean, it's very possible. I, you know, it, it, I would say probable. And at what point in there was uh, the talent brought around the table to read through the script? We did not do strange. We didn't do uh, read throughs for SG One. Oh, and we didn't do them at first for Atlantis, and then we ended up doing them at the cast request, and then slowly but surely cast because we have to do them at, at lunch that's the only time we could do them oh, okay and um even though the cast requested them after a while they started to like you know uh, they were busy with other things and they couldn't show up and it reached a point where the producers were, were doing all were, were, were taking on the roles of the actors the missing actors for the read-through and then i think it's reached the point where i think when, when we we did three um read-throughs in a row where the producers uh outnumbered the actors we decided that, that was, yeah, we, we put an end to the uh, to the read throughs. I mean, I like read throughs. I, I would do them all the time on Dark Matter, and and I like them because uh, a it ensures that the cast reads the script, uh, but it also allows you to get ahead of any issues that the cast may have. So you know, we would do this the read through, and I would say, if you guys have any issues, please come see me. And and you know, someone like Roger Cross, who uh, who. You know, appeared in SG One. Mm-hmm. Was very young, and that was a regular on Dark Matter. He always used to come by, and you know, he would like, you know, um, have ideas for his dialogue, and that was always very cool. Um, you know, so every, all actors have have their their own particular process. Um, so, but you know, at the end of the day, I, I, I always liked the read throughs because it, it, you know, ensured that everyone read the script, everyone you know was on the same page, and then. You know, hopefully you didn't have to deal with, you know, issues on the day where something the actor would be like, oh, I don't know if my character would say that. And right. Then, and you know, at, at what point? I mean, then you're going to have to have someone run upstairs and check at the last minute to see right. if it's OK to change a line. Right. I would say two actors who I recall were always really good about coming by the office uh, were Robert Picardo and Bo Bridges, two of the uh, most experienced heavyweights. Uh, yeah, heavyweights, and they would always come by, and it was always amazing because they would ask to change the most um, 
wasn't inconsequential, but the smallest things in the script, I guess they were just so used to productions where you do not change a word. That's what Rob said about Star Trek. It was very hard to yeah. do. Yeah. But I um, mean, if it makes them happy. You know, yeah. I mean, and, and, and yeah. So, I mean, I always appreciated the fact that they came up and, and, uh, uh, and, and, and asked, and I would always be like, great. And sometimes uh, uh, Bob would have like these ideas for like funny lines and, and I would always go, go for it. Um, you know, but uh, I mean, you write the script because, you know, you, you need to hit certain beats. You, you need to hit, make certain points and, and sometimes be very frustrating when the actors would change the dialogue because it's, you know, occasionally um, the new dialogue would um, either contradict something that came before right. or something that you were trying to set up earlier or um, it would skip over uh, required exposition or yeah, explanation. to let the, the so, yeah. story move forward. Yeah. Um, so from the time that the, that the, uh, how much time would it typically be that, and Rick was different because he got scripts he, as a producer, got yes. them early. Uh, how much time would it be for the principals to get a script uh, before production, before shooting would begin on that particular episode? Would it be mailed to them? Would it be delivered to them to their trailer? And what was that process? Yeah, usually either the trailers or, or via email. Um, mm. And Brad and Robert were always very good. And it's something I learned from them that, that I brought to my various productions. They were always very good at uh, preparing ahead of time. So like I said, we, you know, we would have like half the scripts to go, ready to go before we would um, uh, uh, you know, start uh, the first day of principal uh, photography. So the actors would have those those early scripts. So, I mean, there was never a time, uh, unlike a lot of other productions, where they would get the script, let's say, the night before. There was none of that on Stargate. Mm. Yeah, a lot of shows had to, just based yes. on you know, yeah. how things were going. One of the things that I have always wanted to know, now that we're really in the minutia of it, I can bring mm-hmm. it up for con- because it's in context, is y- you watch a lot of behind the scenes DVD special features on all these different, different productions. You know, one of the, the ones that I like watching is, is the Lord of the Rings uh, mm-hmm. trilogy. And there's always, a, there always appears to be this dance between the writer and the actor in terms of the actor has to be able to create the character. But yep. if you want the actor to emote a certain way. How much flexibility did you have in the script to say, Carter is perturbed by this, or, you know, she can't believe that this is happening and that you, you want a specific look to be delivered on her face. Like she's feeling this certain way. Was it something that you felt that how much, how much granularity could you get in written in the script before the act would say, come on, that's you're stepping on my toes. And would it be different from actor to actor? Like I, yeah, I imagine I, later I, on in the series, you felt out the actors and, you know, I, yeah, I would, I, mean, I would write different notes based on each of their, what yeah. their responses would be. In, in it, script. It's, 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 it truly is a symbiotic relationship. And as, as sort of you, you work together and you get to know each other and each other's rhythms, uh, you know what to expect. And so if there was a, uh, an actor who, let's say I knew didn't read the script, 
tended not to read the script uh, before they shot. I would tend sure it to, happened. <laughs> uh, you know, you know, uh, you know, emphasize certain lines. Uh, but other actors, I mean, you just you just knew that when you gave them something, they would just, uh, you know, make make a wonderful meal with it. Um, you know, I'm talking like, you know, Amanda, Michael, uh, David, um, you know, those three and those three, you know, as you went in Atlanta, especially, you always know they would, uh, um, you know, deliver. Not saying the other ones, didn't, you know. No, but you're, you're thinking great, specifically, yeah. But, but um, you know, uh, Rick is a guy you, you just, you did not um, direct on the page. Or, or, or I wouldn't even say direct, uh, uh, gives, offers suggestions on the page. He did it how, how he did it. And sometimes it was a pleasant surprise. Other times it was not quite what you were uh, uh, going for, but he kind of always did his own thing. He has a spontaneous background. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. that's where, his, where his school of thought is from. And yeah. I'm often sitting there mm-hmm. watching the show and saying to myself, what if this was the writer and what if this is just him? Mm-hmm. You know, we had Tom mm-hmm. Macbeth on a few weeks ago uh, for uh, uh, Chain Reaction, which we'll get to in a little bit here. And I might as mm-hmm. well bring it up now. Good afternoon, ma'am. I'm Mr. Starsky. This is Hutch. And according to Tom Macbeth, that was not written. Yeah, I don't recall that being written. Yeah. And he's yeah. and he's looking at at Tom recalls, you know, he's Rick is looking at me like, how are you going to respond to that? <laughs> <laughs> and he's just like, Hello. Hello, ma'am. <laughs> Is the senator home? Yeah. <laughs> it, would it be? Would that be just something that would, that you would you would be a, a welcome transformation to you? To watch, oh, sure. Sitting there I mean, watching the dailies and going, yeah. "Wow, that's one of the reasons he's here." Is for that spontaneity. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Um, as I said, it would always be a, a surprise watching the dailies. Um, for, for me, as long as you got the spirit of what we were going for and occasionally, you know, an important line in, that would be a, a, a small victory for me. Um, but overall, I mean, I always, it, it was always fun when he would bring something. Although, I mean, you know, there, there were obviously incidences where, where he kind of went off the cuff or improvised, but mm-hmm. they were actually it's gonna happen. rare, but, but they were actually very rare. I know that, um, you know, there are so many times when, you know, I'd, I'd be on the boards and, and, and the fans would be like, oh, Rick is so funny. How did he come up with this line? And I was like, well, actually, that was that was in the script. And they'd be like, oh, but, but this line, it's because, I mean, it's a testament to Rick that he obviously made it seem so, so natural. Right. Uh, the, 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 the fans are close to the actors. And right. you, know, you have to be careful with how you deal with the actors because the fans take that very personally. As I've yes. experienced already on this show, it's like, you're not letting him talk. And it's like, uh, this person and I have known each other for a really <laughs> long time. He would let me know if, if I'm stepping on his toes. Believe me, I would hear about it. Um, but, you know, at the same time, that's just a testament to the, the quality of the product that you've, that you've created. That you've, you get people this invested in the product. Mm-hmm. And it's their family. You know, it's some that they invite into their living room and it's, and in many respects, they know fairly well their quirks and, you know, in terms of, of a person that they believe on some level of their, of their mind exists. Yeah. And it's just, it's just joyous. Um, 
window of opportunity was the first episode uh that you and and paul wrote for the show that appeared scorched earth came first though correct yeah Scor- uh, scorched earth was the first script we wrote for stargate it was the uh script that landed us uh, our staff position but uh window of opportunity was our first episode produced it was a second script we wrote which would you like to talk about first which makes more sense uh, let's talk about Scorched Earth since it's okay. the, uh, it was the first one. The the question that I have uh, that I think is not necessarily how significant it is, mm-hmm. but you you and Paul had a very symbiotic relationship. Um, which of you going down this this list of you know thirty nine written by episodes mm-hmm. are you are you comfortable in in talking through which ones uh, uh, you came up with first and he came up with yeah. first and then just yeah. okay. So Scorched Earth is one of my favorite episodes, and oh, it's it is a a conundrum episode where mm-hmm. we have an alien race that is standing right in front of us mm-hmm. that we've already heard mentioned earlier in the series, the Incarens, mm-hmm. um, which is one of the the great things that I loved about this kind of a show is that you could do that mentioned in an earlier episode. Mm-hmm. Well, we don't have a lot of time. The Incarens need a planet. Mm-hmm. And then later on, as we go through the episode, we find out that there's another species that mm-hmm. is is banking on this world for its survival. Mm-hmm. Tell us about you and Paul developing Scorched Earth. Um, our our uh, partnership, I and mean, we all have we all have our, our strengths and, and and our weaknesses. I always tended to be more the idea guy, and he was always very good at taking the idea and and, and really making it a bulletproof story so um remember i pitched it i think the 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 working title was uh, whose planet is it anyway uh and uh and it was one of i think five pitches we 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 sent to to brad and robert and they chose that one and um you know we got on the phone with them and we talked through the episode and we went off and wrote this the outline and they approved the outline and then we wrote the script I remember Rob telling me that uh, they, had, they had actually had trouble finding writers for the show just because the show is so mythologically rich and, and it, you just you either get it or you don't. And it has nothing to do with really your, your writing ability or talent. Um, and so they only had one copy of the script and they were on a flight to Hawaii for their golf vacation. <laughs> and Brad is like, I can't read this because if it's bad, I'm going to have a terrible trip. And so Rob was like, I'll read it. So he read it on the flight and, and he turned to Brad and he's like, you can enjoy your trip. And so that's how we ended up uh, landing our, our staff position on, on, on the strength of uh, uh, Scorched Earth. And, um, you know, those early scripts, now I remember, were actually very, I mean, it was very different. But the, the ending that I had actually originally pitched for uh, Scorched Earth was actually really dark. In fact, now that I think about it, a lot of the stuff I pitched in the early going was very dark. Um, in 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 uh, the original version I, I pitched, uh, uh, Daniel ends up um, convincing Lotan, is that his name? Lotan. Yeah, to shut down the terraforming process and and sacrifice the race for the good of of the Encarans. And and it was a and and in the last scene, um, Daniel returns to the SGC and he's he's. He's essentially gifted a memento, and it's 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 like a um, it's like a recording of, of this beautiful alien uh, music that plays through like the end of the scene, and that's 
you know, how I envisioned it. And then when it, you know, we went through the process and ended up being more of a happy ending um, that I didn't love as much just because I, I thought that um, uh, the solution. It's too perfect. Seemed, yeah. It seemed a bit, it seemed a bit obvious Everyone and perfect. Gets yeah. their cake and eats it too, which is yeah. fine. I love the episode. Yeah. But in talking with you about that, it would have been interesting to see had it taken a, a direction more along the lines of like Icon did in later shows. Well, mm. we weren't able to avert nuclear war. It's done. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Those, uh, that actor, let me pull up here. Is it Brian Markinson? Good for you. Look at that. Low, I remember look at that recall. Did you go down to set at all? He, uh, I did not go down to okay. set. You remember Brian? I remember him because I remember his performance. I think I thought he was fantastic. I still think he is fantastic. He's, uh, um, you know, it's another guy that I, unfortunately I've never had the opportunity to work with again, but mm. uh, I would love to. And Alessandro Giuliani, long before Battlestar, mm-hmm. had mm-hmm. a great performance as well. Mm-hmm. That's a, a solid episode because uh, it, in many respects, it shows SG1, f- the, the two sides of SG1 fighting. Uh, you've got. Yeah, and for, and for that and reason. Jack. And for that reason, uh, a lot of the Daniel Jackson fans did not like that episode. And it was interesting because it was kind of a trial by fire for, mainly for me, because I was online. Paul was never online. But to get that kind of visceral, uh, angry response from, from the fandom was uh, interesting. Oh, on, what, on what grounds? What were Just they upset that, about Daniel? That, because that, he was arguing with Jack? Well, the fact that he was arguing with Jack, but also oh, that point where, where Jack... That's where Jack... Best. Jack... Uh, hits the trigger uh, and, and you know, could have potentially destroyed the, uh, ship, the with, ship with, with Daniel on him. Yeah. Oh, that's a fair point. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Daniel was, a, was aboard at the time. Yeah. Yeah. But these two made up the yin and the yang of, of largely yeah. what make, what made the show fantastic was their, their two mindsets. Daniel has yeah. always been willing to speak for those who are not willing or able to speak yeah. for themselves. Look, it, it, it made perfect sense. Uh, it was a bit dark. Um, however, there was an exchange that was written into the script where there was a reconciliation, kind of a funny kind of uh, moment between Jack and, and Daniel that ultimately the actors decided they didn't want to do. And so we lost it, which I think would have probably um, assuaged some fans, maybe not all of them, but a few, but in any case, that's what I remember about that that episode. That reminds me a lot of the episodes that were a Star Trek show, you would have them back in their quarters Mm -hmm. and then the doorbell would ring and one officer would come in and, and just explain their situation, how they felt Mm -hmm. about what Mm -hmm. we had just watched transpire. Whereas with Stargate, a lot of times, as soon as the climax was over, in many cases, we fade to black. Yeah, yeah. Brad, uh, especially, was never a fan of tags. That's so called a tag. We, yeah, yeah. Kind of the the denouement. We 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 rarely ever did them. Why? Um, Why? Does he just feel it was not necessary? Or yeah, I think it was just a preference. I I I like tags. Uh, I I've used them abundantly in. Uh, or the, or the course of my career. I mean, in, in like my last two shows, Utopia Falls and, and, and Dark Matter, all tags, always put in a tag. Um, I always find that um, for me, just because, maybe it's because um, my last few shows have been more serialized, but 
Um, I, I, I would always like to end the fifth act with like a, a big dun, dun, dun moment and then have a tag, kind of a quiet uh, scene that would also end with almost like a double WTF that propels mm. us into the next episode. But because uh, I guess SG-1 was really more um, uh, um, episodic than serialized, um, you know, there was no need for, for, for the tag. But I always kind of like those uh, those quieter smaller scenes because they always went to character and and exactly right just you know i i, I just kind of preferred them as, as oh you, well yeah so one thing i do remember about this episode is uh i remember rob did the rewrite on on this episode and he came into my office asking me to name or to come up with a name uh for aliens <laughs> uh, that i came up with the gen i that he ended up we ended up using in in, in uh, atlantis but i came up with the gadmir because his uh, alien naming uh, privileges had been revoked after the Furlings. <laughs> the Furlings debacle. Oh my God. And the fans, like a dog to a bone, will not let it go. Mm. You know, I, that's just, it's, has it surprised you over the course of the years uh, going from generation to generation of fans and, and keeping your, keeping your, your thumb on that pulse, what they continue to focus on? And what they, you'd be like, you know what? I really worked hard on this, and they never, they never bring it up. <laughs> no, not really. I mean, you know, in in a big, um, big picture sense, it's always the gate, it's exploration, it's family, and that's mm. what I think. You know, especially the latter is what all good science fiction is about. But then on, you know, the specifics, there, there's certain things they like about you know certain episodes. But really, for them, the heart of the show are the characters. And that's not surprising. It's, it's something I've always said that I learned on Stargate. People, you know, viewers will tune in for the hook, but they'll stay for the characters. That's exactly right. Mm-hmm. Window of opportunity. Yes. It's, it's brought up almost every day on social media. Somewhere I'm sure it is. Peter Eloise directed um, a tour de force for... Richard Dean Anderson mm-hmm. and and Christopher, well, all of them really, but I yeah. mean Rick. His scene at the end mm-hmm. uh, with Robin Mosley as Malachi. Mm-hmm. If it, if it doesn't bring a tear to your eye, mm-hmm. or at least hit you in the feels, there's something wrong with you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Tell us about Window of Opportunity. Window of Opportunity originally, I, the, the pitch I came up with was very dark. And I think I may, might have mentioned this in a previous uh, discussion. The fact that um, it was really about SG-1 encountering a civilization that was facing a, a, an apocalyptic event. And we're using a device to re-loop time in order to give them time to avert the, the catastrophe that never could be averted. And I remember Rob reading and he was like, you know, why don't we do this. And he was offering me, you know, he's like, do this and change this and that. And suddenly I realized, I, and I was like, we're just doing Groundhog Day. And he was like, yeah, do Groundhog Day. And, and you at give the that time, line to I Rick. was like, yeah. And at the time I was like, we can't just do Groundhog Day. And I realized really what, I think was it Hemingway who said every story is already being told. Ultimately, you know, some variation of the story's already been told, but what makes it special is that it's your characters who are living, experiencing it. And especially the fact that it's O'Neill and uh, Teal, the two guys who know nothing about science, who know nothing really, little about the ancients, the ancient language, were the ones who have to figure it out. 
And, um, you know, one of the things I always loved about uh, Stargate was a sense of humor. I remember, you know, Brad telling me one day, you know, he was like, you know, this, this show is, this series is just a comedy now. We're just doing a comedy. And, uh, Any respects. you know, yeah, I mean, but, uh, you know, he was ex- ex- exaggerating, but, you know, I, I always found humor goes a long way towards allowing audiences to connect with characters, but they also, they bring those moments of levity that, by contrast, make the darker moments that much darker or more poignant, like that the the scene with um, you mentioned with with uh, O'Neill appealing to Malachi. It's beautiful, and yeah. you it, it's it's one of the most natural scenes of of the show. Mm-hmm. If if you really take a moment to understand where Malachi's pain is is coming from, yeah. and force that character to think about what's going to happen next mm-hmm. and then what's going to happen after that. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, unless he's just so love stricken and, and, and just yeah. over the loss of his wife that he'll mm-hmm. be willing to sit through her death again and again, mm-hmm. what else can you do but shut it off? Right. This is such an important episode of the franchise. I'm very curious as to what that original draft looked like. Did SG one come upon the planet and they were, they the the time loop happened in front of them and because they were out of out of that planet's loop they just watched fair, everything restart no to be fair it wasn't a draft it was just a one page pitch i see so and and from that we ended up with uh the outline for window of opportunity so it was very different but it wasn't really fully fleshed out it was just an idea at that point and in that original uh idea Mm-hmm. SG one and watch the civilization just go ahead and die. Um, no, but they they well at the end, yes, yes. Okay. So you know, you know, now that I think of it, just back to back, destroyed civilizations um, is what I pitched, and uh, neither of them were destroyed in the end. So. Mm. Joseph Malazzi, PhD, provides Latin <laughs> for the novice yes. in this. Yes, yes, that was. Uh, Peter Delaware's, we were in the, uh, in, uh, in the concept meeting. And of course the props department, you know, the, you know, what kind of shoelaces, uh, what color shoelaces do you want? What kind of shoes do you want? Uh, what kind of a book you want? Uh, and Peter was like, uh, um, you know, what was it? The Latin for the novice was like, uh, <laughs> author, uh, Joseph Malazzi. And they were like, okay. And, and, you know, who chose fruit uh, loops? Um, we wrote, we wrote fruit loops into the script and uh, and we were having trouble actually getting the rice to Fruit Loops. And remember, ask yeah, they you know they came back and they were like, "How about Cheerios?" And we're like, "No, it doesn't it doesn't make any sense." Jack, yeah, He's so a kid. we ended up yeah, and also Fruit Loops. Um, anyways, so exactly. we ended up getting the Fruit Loops. Yeah, and they had to be glued to the spoon. <laughs> <laughs> I don't recall. Like I wasn't on set for that. Uh, okay. But, uh, oh my god. What a and so it ran short. Um, yeah. I would think that uh, an aside. I would think that Daniel heavy episodes would typically move through the dialogue faster. One of the things that Martin Garrow told us about is when he was writing for First Contact, mm-hmm. he had to keep in mind that Rodney and Daniel both spoke very fast, True. and that has to come into play when you're timing episodes, the, the velocity at which the actors will move through the content. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think back to 
SG-1 and our, our, you know, those scripts would average 52, 53 pages, whereas the Atlanta scripts would average closer to 58, 57, 58, sometimes 59 pages. Yeah. Well, the, the fact of the matter was that, that McKay had to, had to move along a lot of the plot. Yep. That poor guy, that's just, that was his primary role, you know, in yep. addition to just being Rodney. Yep. Wow. Any, um, uh, fan reactions that you've gotten to window of opportunity over the years that, that stand out in your mind this, it's just, it's, it's people bring it back again and again in mm-hmm. terms of heroes and the fifth race and this episode mm. as to, I, I showed this to my little cousins. I showed window mm-hmm. of opportunity to them and I showed ergo to them mm-hmm. as, as hooks to get them invested in the show. Mm-hmm. Are, are you surprised that it continually comes up? I am kind of surprised to be honest with you. Um, just we did 300 episodes. It was like last year or maybe earlier this year. I did the uh, Stargate greatest episode challenge where I had, you know, all the fans vote on episodes and then we did, you know, kind of the head to head and, and window of opportunity ended up coming out on top, which was, um, I mean, I'm, I'm glad uh, fans love the show so much, but I think, um, you know, I think the funnier episodes tend to do well, but it was also a, a funny episode with heart, heart and humor. Exactly. You have to get a, a combination of that. Then, then, you know, you have a winner. So I'm, I'm just, glad it worked out the fans exactly enjoyed. right and with dark matter mm-hmm. all the time in the world yeah and yeah you know it's kind of funny i was saying you know i i, I bookend my career with uh time loop uh, episodes was was there a um a subconscious hope that it would be uh along the levels of success in that individual episode oh yeah absolutely that that one was actually i was in in many ways a very difficult episode to write but also a very um fast write as well it, it mm. was it was weird in that i knew i wanted to do a time loop episode and i ended up watching two dozen time loop episodes of every genre show that has ever done a time loop episode <laughs> because they've all done them right so yeah. you want to do something different so i synthesize the formula and i try to kind of find a way to subvert it um and I, you know, I, we were in the room. So this is an example where you're in the room and you're trying to spin the idea and it's not going anywhere. Uh, one of the things my former writing partner, Paul, was uh, very good at was um, flagging issues, which he would do. But sometimes when he would do them in the room, he would not, be, he would not offer up a solution. And so we would kind of hit a wall. And we spent two days... Uh, in the room, writer's room, and we got nothing done on, on window oh of opportunity. Uh, sorry, not window of opportunity, on all the time in the all world. All the time in the world. And then um, I remember it came, came time for me to write it, and I just started writing, and I pretty much wrote the entire script in a day, which I've never done before. Um, in, in a way, but it was a funny episode, and I tend to write the funnier ones faster. Um, and so it, everything just kind of came together in a scary way. And I, I don't really know how to explain it. I'm sure other writers have experienced it as well, where you're getting nowhere with the script, you're getting nowhere with the script, you, 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 you think you're never going to get it done. And then somehow magically um, the narrative falls into place, all the pieces fall into place and, and, and you come up with a script, not only a script that is serviceable, but a script that it turned out to be 
you know, a fan favorite, the Dark Matter fan favorite. Well, so. it's I would think that it would have something to do with the fact that you spent so much time chewing on it, both in the writer's room and subconsciously, that when it came time for you to put pen to paper or fingers to text or whatever, mm-hmm. that some part of that had facilitated the the faster process. And you yeah. may just weren't had just weren't necessarily aware of it. That's 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 probably a very good point. Yeah. yeah. Um this is kind of out of the, out of the way and I'm I'm curious to see how how much how often or if this ever happened was there ever a situation when you were getting to writing an episode or, or just you got further down in the process of an episode where you had to go back to the group and say this is not working this is this is not coming out the way that we thought it was maybe it'll be good this way or you know what this is it's it's not happening. Should you someone know, else take a stab at it? I mean, what was no, what was the it, red it, alert, yellow alert process for that? It rarely happens. Usually, by the time you you deliver the outline, you've got the structure. But I remember working on incursion, and incursion, or, or incursion one and two was a single episode. S G U finale. It. Yeah, yeah, season one. Yeah, and I was writing it. And it wasn't, I don't don't know if it was intended to be the finale at that point, or we're going to do another episode after that, but I was writing it and I got to almost the midway point or getting close to the midway point of the outline. And I had, I already had like 45, 46 pages. And I, and I realized this is actually a two-parter and, and I told the guys and they were like, okay, write the, the two-part and turned into it to a uh, into a two-parter and so when you watch the episode it's kind of interesting because i mean i don't think it you know it, it lags at all it, it 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 moves fairly quickly um but just just so much going on sometimes you misjudge your outline uh, it rarely happens but when it does you you either find yourself with you know too much story in or not enough and in the case of uh incursion um we had too much how often in that first draft would you spit out because i mean i i would imagine when you're just in flow Mm -hmm. you just kind of let the scenes go and then look back at it in the end how much how often would you have scenes where like this sequence is just way too long i've got to kill my darlings here i mean it's it's all great and i I sound so amazing putting these words into Mm -hmm. these characters Mm -hmm. voices but it's not gonna fit there's no time Yeah. yeah yeah i mean they're tricks writers use to get the page count down you know, you get rid of those continues at the top of the page and that saves you, I think, like a page and a half, uh, you know. No, it'll uh, catch this. Knock no, out, you know, you know, lose words from s- certain shot directions. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there was always, that, w- that would always happen. You would go through it and you would try to be as, as uh, succinct as possible, as tight as possible in your dialogues and your, your general narrative. Did you ever get a situation where you had looked at the dailies and because you've got a script supervisor down there yeah. who's meant to make sure that the story goes as planned. Yeah. You look at the dailies and you're like, these are great performances, but they've missed this piece. Or like yeah. the director missed, never happened. Yep. Oh, it, it, there would be a situation oh, yeah. like that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There were, there were and times. Then, and, and as Paul would point out, there were times when the writer, when the, the actors would, would not say the line. Uh, but but the, the script supervisor, whose, whose job it was to basically remind the actor what they, what they would need to do, would helpfully white out the original dialogue uh, in the script and write in 
the new dialogue, uh, which is why, which is why, I mean, this, this is one of the issues though. When you're, when you're, you're, you're producing 20 episodes of uh, television, sometimes 40 episodes of television a year, you don't have time to go down the set. That's true. Uh, Which is why for Dark Matter and Utopia Falls, um, I had Ivan Bartok. And Ivan was our special features producer on, on Stargate, but he's also director. He also writes. And, uh, you know, when when we were uh, spinning Dark Matter and, and Utopia Falls, he would be in the writers' room with me, so he would know exactly what I would need. And as a director, he would he would be he was essentially my on set uh, supervisor. He would be on set with the director to ensure that he would get everything I needed, because um, sometimes directors and, I, and I'm not saying I mean there there are a couple of directors who I love, but they still do this. They have a cut pattern in their head. So they think, oh, I don't need the close-up here, or I don't need, you know, uh, the, the the master here, um, uh, you know, or I can do this in kind of a oneer. Uh, but I like to have choices when I go in, in, into the editing uh, room, and, and if I don't have the material, then I'm handcuffed, and I don't like to be handcuffed. So, so I was always very good at saying, hey, to the director, make sure you get this, or. In the case of an actor, I mean, it, like I said, it, it, we, I would try to avoid that on, on Dark Matter by having the read-throughs. If an actor had an issue with uh, the script, he would go to Ivan, and Ivan, if it was a, like a big issue, he would text me. Uh, but more often than not, it, you know, it, it rarely happens. But, you know, it was just nice to have someone on set uh, to do kind of that kind of quality control. I mean, that was Michael Greenberg on SG-1 and and, mm. and the directors. I mean, Andy Makita was our producing director on, on, on Atlantis. And they served that role. Um, but it's tough if you're not in the writer's room, mm-hmm. I would argue. Yeah, I would think that one way or another, I mean, you, there would be at certain points down the line, an ep, one occasional episode, you would get a situation where you would have a, a even though it's on supposed to be on the page and the script supervisor is supposed to making sure that all those beats are hit, a beat would get missed every now and then, you yep. know, and you just have to kind of deal with it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Which I guess is what, you know, I guess is what pickups can be for. If you would ever get a chance for pickups. Yeah, we would rarely do pickups though. Okay. Yeah. Scorched earth window of opportunity yeah. uh-huh. point of no return. Oh yeah. Was this one of your original pitches? Um yes. Yes as well. Um okay. uh, again, I was kind of like the funny ones. Um and I remember actually the fans maybe not really liking the episode as much. I mean it's it's it, window of opportunities, it, you know, it, it's tough to sort of follow that one. Um and also it it uh you know, it it was Kind of a little, a little sillier than most episodes mm-hmm. that had come before, but I kind of loved it. I, you know, I, I thought uh, Willie Garson was terrific. Did you um, have any say in in picking him? Did he audition? No, or at that was point, he in, chosen in, uh, earlier. I believe I'm, I'm not sure. To be honest with you, I don't recall. I mean, at that point in our career, it was our we were co-producers. Um, Brian and Robert were always nice enough to show us the auditions, and 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 occasionally we would. Uh, way in but really brad and, and robert uh, made the call and of course rick and, uh, and and michael as well okay yeah i would think that you mean you're you're trying uh, there are a number of, of people in the stargate community uh a handful of them mm-hmm. who who do fervently believe that the the franchise is a cover for 
something that the Air Force is doing. So when you create a character mm-hmm. that uh, is heavily invested in mm-hmm. in sci-fi, I would imagine that some of them would probably take an issue with it because they're like, that's not me. It's not meant to be you. But, mm-hmm. I mean, you see that and right. that's just how it is. What you, you said for a while that that episode really remained true to itself from the earlier stages all the way through to the completed product. Yeah. Is that, is that still the case when, when you look back on it and do you have a, does it still hold a special place in your heart? It does. I mean, I haven't rewatched it in a while, but I mean, after, like I said, um, you know, we came up with the pitch for, for scorched earth and it was, you know, a darker ending and that was changed. Um, and then window of opportunity, the original idea pitched was very different from the end product. And then the end products were, were fantastic. The point of no return was the first one where from start to finish, you know, the, the story pitched was pretty much the episode shot. And, um, and it was, it was fun. It was, you know, I think back to it, it was fun because I remember Rick had a really good time on the, with the episode, he got along really well with Willie and, uh, and you know, it just, it, 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 it was an episode that just came together really well. And it's another one of those where the ending, even though it's a funny episode, the ending hits you in the gut. Yeah. You realize that this is, they were, they were deserters from a planet that eventually didn't make it. Yeah. Yeah. How early on was it thought that Martin would be perfect for the 100th and would, if he'd taken, taken some kind of medication and... (laughs) forgot that he was an alien yeah, I, you know I, I i don't recall i remember actually um rob pitching out the idea for 200 and originally it was just like remember when and it would just be a trip down memory lane and we were like well it needs something more to hang off you know to, to hang those stories off of it you know it needs you know a central story and we and went back and forth and i remember i don't recall who came up with the idea of uh of uh kind of the tv show but uh you know, yeah wormhole extreme is what i'm uh, yeah. is what i'm asking about like when oh wormhole extreme the, for the okay, 100th sorry. 200 later but yeah for the oh, 100th yeah. episode uh yeah. how early on was it like you know what willie he had a great time well, you know, that character yes. was great yes yeah yeah i mean in that in that case it was very much a, a, the fact that we love willie and what he did in the episode and we wanted to find a way to bring him back and and you know whereas point of no return was like I said, kind of a, felt like a bit of a departure because it was a bit silly. I mean, Wormhole Extreme just kind of blows the, the right off. doors right off, right? Yeah. We fully embrace the fact that on yeah. some level, this really is a comedy. Yeah. And was, uh, you know, we did cameos and just so many in jokes in that episode. I have to go through it. I mean, to be reminded of all the, uh, the little uh, Easter eggs, just mainly for us, the production. Would you please give your line from that episode? Hey, what happened to all the donuts? <laughs> and then we didn't see Willie for another hundred episodes. And I think on some level it would have made sense to just, you know, revisit that mm-hmm. that narrative and use it as a storytelling device for a treehouse of horror kind of kind of right. story. Yeah. Yeah. What was it like writing two hundred? I mean, you you all took sections of it, I'm guessing. Yeah, it was it was it's a very different experience. It was a lot of fun. The fact that you, you, we went off and wrote our own little vignettes. We we each of us pitched a different idea, and then we all went off and 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 wrote. And uh, I think I did like 
half of Invisible Neil. I did the Farscape thing because I love Farscape. Uh, I did, uh, I forget uh, who, who did the puppets? Was it Rob who did the puppets or Brad? Oh, Anyways. Yeah. It was, yeah. I'll, we'll get to that in the future. Yeah. One of my favorite guest stars, my favorite guest star actually for the longest time was Anna Louise Plowman. Mm. Uh, Dr. Sarah Gardner slash yes. Osiris. Yes. Yes. The curse. The Stargate, yes. Stargate really didn't do, because uh, that's, you know, if you, if you watch a lot of, you know, Egyptian television mm. or, or like th- things that make, take advantage of Egyptian tropes, curses mm. and mummies and everything like that mm-hmm. weren't really a part of Stargate's fabric. And right. this episode began to like, kind of like tap into that just a little bit. You know, you got to be careful around these things. They may kill you. You right. know, tell us about the curse. You know, I remember being very excited when I, I thought of the idea for the curse because it, it was like an element of, it was an unexplored aspect of Daniel Jackson's backstory. Mm. And I would, would have thought that four seasons in, you know, you would have covered all that. But I thought, oh, this is what a great opportunity. And uh, as you said, Anna Louise Baum was amazing. Um, there's something about British villains that uh make them especially evil oh, star um, wars yeah <laughs> i remember it was it was great i was uh you know this one uh, uh sort of easter eggs for 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 longtime green lantern fans but probably all the characters were named after green lanterns of the Stuart expedition uh i think uh dr rainer dr. was rainer. uh yeah um uh, uh what was what was the um dr jordan yeah dr jordan yeah um Gardner. Yeah, yeah. 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 Gardner. Yeah. Yeah. Did Anna Louise uh, she was she living uh stateside at the time or was she overseas? No, she, 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 she yeah, she was overseas she was overseas. And, and so you uh, would take overseas auditions? Yeah. Yeah. Ah, okay. Yeah. Very good. And it was so there there is a a rumor running mm-hmm. through fandom that yeah. Daniel after the death of Share in mm-hmm. season three, mm-hmm. that there was the, the <sighs> material for Daniel, I wouldn't I, dried up is not is not the characteristic that I'm going for. Mm-hmm. But was was there an intent uh, among the writers to give Daniel a narrative reason to really keep on going through the Stargate rather than just I'm with my team? There, there's got to be you know a. That, that was the original pitch for him being on SG-1. He's out yeah. looking for his wife. And then yeah. in season three, his wife died. Yeah. Was that on purpose in The Curse to give him something else to keep an eye out no. for through the gate? No? No. Um, I mean, to be honest with you, we joined in season four. So um, we did not experience that. Uh, I mean, although we you know, were the, the first three seasons, we, we, you know, we didn't live through the experience and kind of the shift with Daniel. So for, you know, in, in our mind, he was essentially a member of the SG one family. And even though he wasn't, let's say driven by, you know, the search for his wife, he was driven by, you know, this, who he was, his, you know, the hunger for exploration, his, you know, his, his, his lead role uh, in the team. That's what, what, what we saw kind of driving him after, uh, Shuri's death. Mm. Um, I mean, backing up to the curse, I, I also um, I think this episode was the beginning of my um, um, what's the word? Displeasure 
with some of these sci-fi uh, advertisements for the, uh, you know, I mean, you don't find out who Osiris is until the end of the episode, unless you watch the uh, the ad for sci-fi that basically shows uh, her, you know, using her the hand or you know the hand device and, and and hurling them against the wall. And I was like, well, that's that's just fine. Okay. I mean, do they even bother watching the episode? Sometimes but I that wonder. That would happen all the time. That the, would happen the all the time. The bomb isn't the building. In the building, the bomb is yes. the building. Yeah. The yeah. one like major line at the. Yeah. Yeah. Or or when we brought Beckett back. The commercial was like, the commercial was really, you won't believe the last five minutes. And then it's Beckett going, what took you so long? Well, why won't they believe it? You already told them. There had to have just been a huge, I I remember that there was, there was footage taken with Brad and um, this is just kind of just to go into that. There was yeah. footage filmed with, where Brad did an interview, and mm-hmm. he was asked to do an interview before that content was released, and mm-hmm. then say something about it after the content was released. And wherever that went, they just put it out all at once. And it was like, guys, come on, have a little bit mm-hmm. more sensitivity toward the product here. You know, I just remember actually once being on the on, on that was their kind of the marketing department, yeah. And the representative from the marketing department was like, yeah, can you can you Tell us, you know, uh, like, give us like a, a little like sizzle uh, package of what we can expect for season, you know, season, I think, six, so that we can get our team excited so that they can, you know, do, you know, do like really good, a really good job. And I'm like, are they, are they, do you guys pay your team? Is that, isn't that what, you know, isn't, you know. Because I assume they're giving be, the episodes yes. at that point. Yeah. Do you want to be, Watch do, it. We, do we really have to be excited to. To uh, it's like you know they're like kids. You gotta you know hey, you know let's let's do everyone do a good job and get paid. <laughs> Thank you, and maybe don't reveal any spoilers. That would be fantastic as well. Oh, at some point, it would have been like you know, can we just hire yeah. Gateworld to do it? Yeah, they'll do a yeah. great job. <laughs> we would have been ready and waiting for the curse. Yes, it's one of those episodes where, and you didn't you didn't do this a whole heck of a lot where. It's a, it's not a whodunit, mm-hmm. but I guess it is kind of a whodunit because 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 mm-hmm. Doctor Doctor Jordan was was killed, and mm-hmm. we find out midway through that there's a Goa Wold running around, which I mm-hmm. think actually that image right there is oh, the yeah? eye of the gate of the yeah. of the Goa, of uh, ISIS. See. Yeah, yeah. Um, when you're writing that a story like mm-hmm. that, are you trying to figure out on uh, as you're moving through it? Is this too obvious? I mean, we're trying to Absolutely. bait the audience into yes. thinking that it's Stephen, but it's yes. Osiris. C- commercial right. aside, yes. You know, is it is it a dance when you're watching it and going? You know what? For some people, this is just going to be. I mean, th- there really is no way to tell that it's that it's Sarah. You don't really leave any kind yeah. of hints. Uh, right. If you're watching, I mean, you can watch it again and see Anna Louise Plowman's like her facial expressions when she's trying to get Daniel to give some information, then the frustration when it's not, it's clearly Osiris going, damn it. I'm not getting anywhere with this guy. Right. Um, For that, did you think you pulled it off or did it's so hard to tell, to to tell, I'll I'll be honest with you. I mean, I, you know, as, as I mentioned earlier, Paul would say, I I tend to be too subtle. Um, I always like to kind of surprise the audience, but I mean, there are very few suspects in, 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 you know, in, in that episode. 
And, um, you know, you're, ne you're never going to surprise everyone. There, there will always be audience members who will be like, I knew, you know, I knew Kaiser Soze was, you know, so as long as it, it, it works for you and it worked for me. So was there, at what point did you, did you decide we've, we've got to get her back? We've got to get Osiris back. Was that before she was even cast? That was the intent that at some, no, some point she... we're going to see Osiris again because she says Osiris will return in her yeah. third person voice. Yeah. Um, I was really watching the dailies and, and we thought, wow, she is remarkable. We have to have her back. But of course, easier said than done. I think um, uh, we tried to get her back earlier, but there was oh. an issue with scheduling. Uh, I mean, you know, she's in the UK, so that uh, made things a little... Uh, Tricky. I would imagine Summit Last Stand and her footage from Revelations were probably all shot in her same yes. visit. Yeah. It would just make sense to go ahead and do that. And mm -hmm. man, she was fantastic. Yes. And I wish I really wish we'd had her around more. I think that mm -hmm. I think that she gave that that I mean she gave Michael a steak to chew on um yeah. with all the emotions that he had to go through. Um yeah. but woulda shoulda coulda, right? Mm -hmm. Talking about bringing people that you did get to bring back. Mm -hmm. Ronnie Cox, we had not yes. seen since uh, politics. The mm -hmm. he, Ronnie was always the champion for the clip shows, man. When you yeah. see Ronnie <laughs> yeah. on screen, it was like, are we going to go into a clip show? <laughs> you know, uh, what a tour de force. Yeah. People are, you know, there are there are characters that that you go in, in the forums and people are like, oh, I love to hate this guy. Like Harry Mayborn. Yeah. Oh, I love to hate him. And then it comes to Kenzie and people are like. I hated that guy. Yeah, and it's yeah. like, but didn't you love to hate yeah. him? I'm like, yeah. no, no, I didn't. No. I just hated him. That's a good performance. Yes, yeah. Whereas Mayborn was a lovable, lovable rogue. Kinsey was just, uh, you know, a typical politician. Um, it's funny. I actually ran into Ronnie I think two years ago. I was in LA, and I just had a, a meeting with DC Comics. And I had time to kill. And so I went into a diner and as I was leaving, he was coming in and I was like, Hey, Ronnie, I don't know if you remember me, but I worked on Stargate. And he was like, ah, oh. he goes, I had such a good time working on Stargate. He goes, you guys, you know, if ever I had an issue, if there was a scheduling issue, you guys always found a way to make it work. You know, I always really appreciated, uh, you know, um, the effort you guys put in. It was really nice to hear. I, you know, I, I, I love to hear from people who worked on the show, especially guest stars who came in and, and were really, you know, wowed by uh, kind of the warmth and, and, and support, uh, uh, you know, all around. Did Rick look forward to playing off of him? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think Rick, you know, really, uh, there were certain performances where, where you know you 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 notice Rick really step up. Um, you do, and and, you and and certain actors that he really responded to, and and, and Ronnie was one. Yeah, and uh, uh, Tom was another. Yeah, absolutely. This is a great show because it brings uh, Hammond a little bit more front and center. Uh, was there an was was there an intent uh, for a while there to create a more uh, Hammond centric in terms of the the focus of the story kind of episode? Are you talking about chain reaction? Or are you talking about chain reaction? 
chain reaction. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, oh my gosh, I mean, I think back to that first season and 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 how varied those episodes were. Very much so. Uh, and and the fact that we try to. You know, just just offer up as different uh, different stories and you know different focuses and and uh, uh, Dom is a great actor um, and 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 a good friend and um, you know it was nice to give him an episode to really sink his teeth into. Lawrence Dane takes over the SGC mm-hmm. and we get a very yeah. different kind of personality. Probably either someone who is directly w- involved or taking orders from someone who is involved with mm-hmm. Kenzie. Mm-hmm. And he nearly blows up the planet <laughs> in one show. <laughs> uh, the actor was Lawrence Dane as General Bauer, a very mm-hmm. different energy. And yep. we found out how much we really appreciated having yeah. General Hammond there to hold back the tide. Yeah, yeah. Uh, was that also uh, Brad's actual daughters in that scene? I believe it, they were. Tessa yeah. and Kayla? Yeah, yeah, yeah. His young daughters in the background as uh, as uh, Hammond's grandchildren. Which was, I believe, what, what episode was that? I think that that was in uh, Tin Man. Which actually, um, there. Your granddaughter's yeah. names are Tessa and Kayla. <laughs> Any other special yeah. uh, uh, memories from, from writing Chain Reaction? The first, uh, the first episode where we've got O'Neill and uh, Mayborn pairing up the Starsky mm-hmm. and Hutch kind of kind of situation. Yeah, I mean those scenes were always a blast to write. The um, you know kind of the, the back and forth. You kind of love that um, uh, verbal barrage between the two. Remember um, that that was a scene where they had to figure out Kinsey's uh, password. That's uh, Rob Rob Cooper's dog, late dog Oscar. Makes a uh, a cameo in that. that the episode. dog's name was Oscar. Oscar, yeah. Hi, yeah. Oscar. And Oscar also, I think, appeared in Two Hundred, if I'm not mistaken. Possibly. Yeah, he was behind the wheel uh, in Jack's truck. Oh, he was. The, was he the dog? <laughs> Maybe. He sure looks yeah. like him. It's another. Yeah. It's another. Um, uh, it's was it a border collie? I think it was a border collie. No. Is it Australian Shepherd? He was a. a I can't think of what he a, was. I want to say Shitpu. A Shitpu? Shitsu. Shitsu? He was bigger Shitsu. than a Shitsu. Oh. No, they might not have been Oscar. Okay. Did, didn't Rick have a dog? Um, yes. He had a an Australian border collie. That's that was Kenzie's dog. Ah. Yeah. That's gotta be it. Yeah. Okay. So that makes sense. Prodigy. Yes. We brought in uh actress. Um, it was Elizabeth Rosin. Yes, uh, who later returned for one more episode. Yeah, this is a really an episode that brought the Air Force a little bit more into focus. Yeah, and had a guest from uh, General <laughs> General Ryan himself. Yeah, did the Air yeah. Force reach out and say where 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 did that start? I, you know, I don't really, really recall. This is a, probably a question for Brad or Robert, but um, I know on SG-1, the Air Force vetted all the scripts and they were huge fans of, of the show. I mean, it would, I was amazed by all the like, postcards and, and letters oh. we would get from, from the troops um, who would tell us how much they loved the show. Um, and I think General Ryan just requested. And so 
they reached out and and of course the production was like well hell yeah sure if he wants to be on the show uh and uh he played himself he was not a go old or any uh <laughs> anything like that um and uh it was yeah it was uh it was interesting interesting having uh uh you know so much security uh i would imagine yeah yeah would it, would a scene like that keep rick more on his toes you know i think it did I really think it did. I would think so. Yeah. And opposite of Don, that yeah. that was a room full of heavies. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Was there a, an intent on your and Paul's part to um, highlight the Air Force Academy in that episode? It was an, uh, an intent, but I mean, you know, one of the... Um, criticisms that we would occasionally receive with the fact that they, they felt that we would glorify the military. They should glorify the military. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I kind of, whatever, roll my eyes. I, uh, I, you know, I think, um, you know, we, we, we have a lot of respect for the military and, 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 and I think that was very obvious, uh, in the production. I mean, we're not, I think we're, glorifying violence um, or war yeah yeah but the yeah. men and women were, who serve yeah. that's different yes yes absolutely so and it's certainly made its 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 voice heard with the mm-hmm. fan reaction there's plenty yeah. of people who have who uh, uh i mean what terrell rothery was talking about how when she would go on the uso tour over to korea mm-hmm. they they only had certain number of dvds and things that they could watch and stargate was one of them amazing Amazing. The show. Remember we actually got we got a DVD from the space station. Yes. And yeah. Absolutely. They were Astronauts watching it up there like, too. Yeah. Yeah. Elizabeth Rosin uh, yeah. as as Haley. Yeah. Were you how how involved would you get to be in casting uh, at this point in the show and later on? It was an interesting casting because um, it actually came down to her and an actress called. Um, what was the character's name? In, Cadet Haley? Hall- Jennifer, Jennifer Halley. Yeah. Uh, sorry. In the first draft I wrote, I, the character's name was Jennifer Halley. Ha- uh, Jennifer Halley. Halley. And Paul, cha- Paul changed the character's name to Jennifer Haley, I think. Okay. And then actresses auditioned, and the actress I loved, that, that I kind of wanted, was an actress called General uh, Jennifer Holly, who was exactly the same name. As You're kidding. The kid, no. And we ended up casting her in the tomb uh, in, in a later episode. The Russian. But yes. Isn't that bizarre? The exact yeah. same name? Yes, the exact same name. And it's just interesting because Paul was like, that's a ridiculous name. I think we, we, have, we have to change it to Haley. And I was like, oh, okay. And then. Oh, so when it went out. To be for Jennifer to audition for Jennifer Haley. Jennifer Holly showed yes. up to audition yes. for it. Yes. yes, that's even more bizarre. Yes, it was pretty bizarre. Wow, absolutely. Um, and I, Ivan Bartok also guessed. Uh, yes, as, as uh, I like to refer to him as Blinky Cadet Number Three. <laughs> yes, because he blinks a lot. Yes. Oh God, who who was the one who directed that episode? Peter Deloise, because I knew he uh, made yeah. him sit through several takes. Yeah. Yeah. Notorious Peter Deloise. <laughs> Which of the directors? Um, I guess that's not an entirely fair question. Would you look forward to working with the most? Which of the directors did you feel like you were most uh, compatible with? And you, 
you just knew that they were going to create a product that like you didn't expect or were they all pretty consistent from I one mean, to the they, other? They, yeah, I think they were all pretty consistent. Andy, uh, Martin, Peter, uh, Will, but I mean, to be honest with you, the, um, I mean, I just think back to my years on Stargate and there was Will Waring was the director that I spent the most time with, like on set. I remember I, I was actually on set for, um, Whispers, most of Whispers. I was on set for most of um, um, what was the Joe Delferland episode? Har- uh, Harmony. Yes. Yeah. So, and he started off earlier on in in Stargate as I think. Yeah, he was a camera operator. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That was the thing that I loved about uh, watching the names on that show as mm-hmm. as the franchise kind of grew. When people would mm-hmm. leave and work on to, uh, to other projects, you yeah. would keep th- and and uh, out of. Uh, the quality uh, that that these people were uh, were were creating and the fact that they were around earlier on it just made sense to let them be the ones yeah to i mean and that was very much shot. stargate yeah i mean you know brad and robert always kind of fostered that environment and and you know supported you and allowed you to grow and and you know i mentioned cast that i've worked with on stargate that i ended up working with on dark matter but i mean directors andy makita Will Waring, Peter DeLuise, Martin Wood, and Amanda Tapping all directed episodes of uh, Dark Matter for him. Last episode, season mm-hmm. four, Exodus. Oh, yes. We get to blow up a planet. Get to blow up a freaking planet. The Vorax Oh, sorry, system. the sun. Yes. Yeah. So, well, the planet I blew up yeah. as well, I would, I would yeah. surmise. Apophis Returns. Yes. And I think this is the first episode that you wrote that actually features... Yes. Um good old apophis the great peter williams you also yes. bring in jacob carter carmen argenziano tanith yes. so that season arc throughout throughout the season mm-hmm. was the first like jaffa revenge story with tanith yeah was that something that was very early on in in the writers room for that first your first year mm-hmm. an early obvious benchmark that this was going to be a piece that was going to thread its way throughout the season yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I mean, it really varies from 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 um, uh, show to show and series to series. But I always kind of like to have an end game in mind for the end of the show, even if you don't know exactly what the, the episode is going to be. You know, kind of what the overall arc of the season is, and and you know, um, Exodus does a, like a, a very nice job of having everything kind of dovetail, and um, you know. Carter does what she does best, and Omino does what he does best. And, and you have no. a couple of standing sets. I know that you had uh, the the Tokra set standing for season four because there was there were several um, Tokra episodes that were that were built yeah. into that season. Uh, I remember so- the Tokra set and their exceptionally pointy walls. <laughs> you know how many how many times they you know weren't paying attention and ended up. Cutting up their arms. Oh gosh! Yeah. Seriously, seriously, you look at that. They have all these like spray painted hay hay bales yeah. or something. Yeah, it yeah. looked fantastic. Yeah, but it was. I don't think a niece was featured in that episode. I think she was already gone at that point. But she had a she? the the actress who played it. Um, 
I can't think of her name off the top of my head, but she had a long Vanessa. run that season. Was it Vanessa? Vanessa Angel. Angel, yeah. That's it, yeah. yeah. We often didn't have uh, actors who repeated so frequently. Did that actress have a contract to come in for a certain number of episodes? Or was it just one episode after another for that early on in uh, early group in season four? Her I, I, story it was, was really more one. It was really more one episode after another. The, the, it, um, her inclusion was in a request by... Uh, uh, at the time, vice president of television, um, um, uh, MGM. Um, gosh, I can't remember his name. It's not Charlie Harry? Cohen. No, 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 no. Okay. Charlie, by the way, I have to say, Charlie w- was vice president of, of MGM television uh, uh, after. Uh, you could never, you could not find a bigger sci-fi fan than Charlie Cohen. I mean, he was... It, 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 he was like the best of both worlds because he was an executive, obviously, who who oversaw the production. He has such respect and love for not only the genre, but the show as well. You know, it, it will always warm our hearts to make Charlie happy. So, uh, you know, nothing but, you know, very, very pleasant memories of, of Charlie. No, oh, Hank Cohen. Hank Cohen, Cohen. that's so, it. So, no relation, yeah, I don't so, think. No, 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 yeah. no relation. So he he... He made a request for a sexy female alien. Uh, so uh, we ended up including the sexy female alien and, 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 and we ended up giving him a line because he appears in um, uh, Hank in Wormhole Extreme as, oh. a, as an executive who, as he's getting into a car, says, you know what the show needs is a sexy female alien. That's the line <laughs> we gave him. I did not know that that was him. Yeah. Oh, gosh. What was it like um, bringing in Apophis? This character started yeah. the, the I mean, villain's he's first iconic. one. And, and, and Peter Williams is just such a terrific actor. And, you know, it, it, was, it was a real treat for us. Um, and, and just to be able to sort of, you know, play in, play in that sandbox. Because he was, he was a... Uh, you know, character who died and came back. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it, 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 it was just a lot of fun. It was just such like, I, you know, I, just, I think back to that episode, it was such a huge episode. Um, like, you know, we mentioned the fact that all those episodes in season four were so varied. You have the small episodes, you have the funny episode, you have the, you know, kind of the, uh, the, the kind of more, uh, the ethical, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, sort of moral quandary of, of, uh, of um, scorched earth, and then you have this, you know, the big spectacle of uh, of uh, blowing up a sun, yeah, <laughs> and some great visual effects. When you so this was your first cliffhanger, uh, was there an idea of because obviously we end this show in some of the more treacherous circumstances that the show has uh, that the mm-hmm. characters have been in? Did you know at this point that replicators were going to be featured in the next season? Did you know really I- that? how you were going to resolve at um, that Teal's point death. i don't think at that point i don't think we knew or i think maybe we had some an idea but i mean at that point we hadn't really fleshed things out at that point it was just an idea i think back and i think back to you know i think i did a blog post where i actually broke down all the season finales mm that I've written and I ended up writing quite a lot because you you know, I think, you know, I look back at like Exodus, I look back at like, you know, um, 
Camelot and, uh, um, you know, Incursion 2, uh, Gauntlet, which sadly was like a series finale. Oh, God, yeah. Um, Don't get me started, man. Too early. Yeah. It's, Anyways. Yeah. It's, a, it's a great two-parter. And uh, it, clearly, it's just absolutely one of my favorites because it does it does so much of what makes the show great. The mm-hmm. characters are really true to themselves and mm-hmm. get to exercise their uh, their best their best acting chops. And yeah. the visual effects were stellar. Yeah, you know, it was really it was really good stuff. Yeah, I really appreciate you. Um, going a little bit over time with me here and walking oh, my you through pleasure. your first your first this is season. fun actually you know i it's 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 really stirred some uh long dormant memories you don't need ginkgo when you got me <laughs> <laughs> oh now maybe this gives me the the uh the inspiration and drive i need to finish this damn uh, outline i'm working on now so hey, tomorrow fantastic you know? Thank fantastic you. thank you, you you guys created a hell of a show and the reason that you and I get a chance to talk about it is because people are watching, my friend. We just hit 5,000 subscribers last weekend. Wow. We're in week Amazing. five. You know, week seven when this thing goes up. But it really means a great deal to me to have you as a cornerstone here to to. No, to I appreciate it. And, you know, and, and I mean, let me know what I can do when, you know, send me the links and I'll give you a blog shout out. I'll give you a blog shout Joseph out. Joseph It's right there, the spelling on the screen. Yes. <laughs> You got uh, Canadian Thanksgiving. Has that come yet? No, it passed already. It did pass. All but right. we we celebrate Christmas the same time you guys celebrate Thanksgiving. You do? No, I'm just. It's like that's uh, not no, true. No, it, it just no. <laughs> no. My friend, I appreciate your time. Thanks for give all those me. little puppers a hug for me. I will. You take care of yourself, and I'll talk with you real soon. Okay. All right. Thanks, buddy. Good night. Bye-bye. Bye bye. <laughs> bye. Joseph Malazzi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, it means a great deal to me to know uh, that you are out there and in, enjoying the show. Uh, this was a little bit more of a different episode because we're going specifically down the list of, uh, of certain shows from season four. And this is going to be more typical of a lot of the, the later episodes in the series because we're deliberately uh, building a list of, of oral Stargate content for the future. So... I hope you enjoyed it because there's going to be a lot more of this. Thanks again to uh, Joseph Malazzi and thanks so, so much to my moderating team. Uh, Summer, Keith, Tracy, Jeremy, Ian, you guys are fantastic. Uh, Linda, my, uh, my right hand gate gabber and to Jennifer uh, for helping me to continue to build this show. I appreciate you watching and hopefully we'll be back real soon with another. I know we will. I just we're a little bit earlier. I'm actually recording this episode on November the 10th, so I don't know what's going to come next because we haven't actually got there in time. We do have one of our guests lined up, though, so uh, keep your ear to the ground for an announcement really soon. I'm David Reed. We'll see you on the other side. Dial the Gate is hosted and executive produced by David Reed. The producer is Darren Sumner, co-produced by Linda Fury. The composer is Neil Acri. Animations by Bryce Ors. The production assistant is Jennifer Kirby. Moderators include Summer Roy, Keith O'Mell, Tracy Noller, Jeremy Heiner, Reese M., and Anthony Rowling. Logo design by Deborah J. Bell. Additional effects by Thomas Tots, with contributions by model makers Chris Baker, Stephen Barr, Kevin Zabo, and Tom Paris. The archivists are Linda Fury, Zachary Adams, and Fred Eric Marcoux. 
For general inquiries for submissions, please contact us at dialthegateshow at gmail.com. Visit our website for the upcoming schedule, as well as an archive of our past episodes, at dialthegate.com. <laughs>